Hello and welcome to This is a Token with Alex Monroe, the podcast that celebrates all things jewellery. I've spent half a lifetime designing and making jewellery, but what really interests me is what it means to other people. This is a podcast where we ask our guest about the jewellery they cherish most of all. We'll explore the moving, fascinating and often surprising stories connected to each piece and those emotional bonds that we just can't do without. My guest today is the actor Lloyd Hutchinson. He's been in almost everything and acted alongside almost everybody, but you might recognise him more recently as Brendan, the aggressive double glazing fitter in the TV series White Gold. His stage career is prolific. The list is far too long, but most recently I saw him in A Very Expensive Poison at the Old Vic, which I loved. There was Boris Goodenough with the RSC in Stratford, uh, Sam Shepard's Particle of Dread, which I first saw in Derry, near where Lloyd grew up, actually. And then I saw it again in New York, where we were lucky enough to hang out with Sam Shepard himself. There's the Seagull, Salome, Husbands and Sons, Talking to Terrorists, Shopping and Fucking. And then again recently he played the Fool to Ian McKellen's King Lear at the Duke of York's. And there was Puck in Midsummer's Night Dream at the Young Vic, which brings me neatly on to his equally prolific film and TV career with Midsummer Murders, where he played alongside George Cole, a great turn as a gay copper in Silk, the Fades, Titanic, Hustle, Silent Witness, Casualty, Catastrophe, the list goes on. And even my mum has seen him start bollock naked in Mrs. Henderson Presents. Lloyd, welcome to This Is A Token. All right, mate. Good to see you. Very nice to see you. We've got a cup of tea. We've got a nice plate yeah. of uh, biscuits yeah, with a good biscuits. selection. This My, is so uh, nice. So nice. Having a bicky, you know. Bicky and a cup of tea. Bicky, bicky. I've a got cup, a pot. A I make it in a pot. Yeah, so and I'm going to save myself. this cupcake until halfway through. <laughs> Turn it to tea cake. On <laughs> mamon, tarto citron and oh, some chocky bickies. So we're all right. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming and chatting today, mate. Not at all. Um... In the introduction, I was just running through your film. Is it called a, a stageography? What's what's the theatre version of a filmography? I don't know. They just call it a, a bio, biography. Biography. Anyway, yeah. Just read it. And um, the first thing that jumps out is that you've been working your guts out. Obviously, coronavirus. Yeah. You've been working hard the whole time, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've been very lucky. I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I started my professional life even before I went to drama school. Um, you know, Danny Boyle, you know. Yeah, I was reading that. He he was a stage director to begin with, and then he went to BBC Northern Ireland in the mid-80s, and then he hired himself to direct the first couple of films under his tenure right there, and I ended up being in one of them, which was great fun. I haven't seen them. Can we see them? How do we see them? Are they sort of... Yeah, I mean, I think the NFT holds a couple of them in their archive, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, you'd be hard-pressed to see them now. I love them. <laughs> Thank love God. Them. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's nice to see. I was doing a bit of um, stalking this morning. Oh, yes. And um, you get all those pictures of you when you were at RADA. And, all that, and I'm imagining you... Oh, no. 
you know, with your big hair again now. Big hair, you've got big hair again now. You've gone back, gone back yeah, to the 80s. Yeah, yeah. God. That's because all the hairdressers are shining. I, know, I look like some old folk musician from the <laughs> 70s now. <laughs> well, it's nice to see just how much you've worked. And I've probably only enjoyed your work for the past 10, 15 years or something. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder what the first thing I saw you, I can't remember. Naturally, before I met you, I've got to admit, I wasn't a natural theatre buff. Yeah. And so, you know, you wouldn't normally find me in the theatres yeah, of yeah, the West End. Yeah, yeah. And the last time probably I went to the theatre was when I was sort of dragged there at school. You know, mm. that kind of thing when you're dragged on school. But trips, haven't you had a great time? I've had, I have had a fantastic time. You've had some of the best you. nights of your life in a theatre. How long <laughs> I have, because you're a good actor and I enjoy it. And I think I, think I was put off by some of the, some, perhaps some of the productions. The last one I saw was Hamlet at the National and I think they were all in grey sackcloths and everything was in grey and it was just all about the dialogue and I sat there for sort of two and a half hours I think like anything when you're young if you're forced to go and you see things that aren't particularly exciting it can put you off something yeah, it's still the same way these days it's like every art form there's some shocking stuff out there and there's some really brilliant stuff out there you like to think that you'll be in all the great plays that are you know lighting up the west end and all the rest of it in the national theater but quite often you know you might end up being in a total another dog you know well, a hand on heart i've never seen anything you've been in that i haven't enjoyed but i suppose that's because you, I've you, got impeccable taste <laughs> in my choice. You pick great plays, obviously. And I, I guess also that if you've got a mate in something, you're willing to invest a bit more effort into it. But also, I'm lucky because you recommend things and you help get me tickets. So you're kind of recommending mm. plays that I've been to and I've taken Denise to that I've really enjoyed. So you sort of tell me about the good ones, and I suppose that's easier. That's different from the cinema because you can go and see something that's shit and it doesn't bother you that much but with the uh, theatre I just I was just put off I think by saying a few yeah God, you're really you're making me miss it more and more now you know yeah bad times yeah I mean but yeah. You're, you're busy like these days I call you up and you seem to be busy you're still doing stuff well I'm doing stuff you know I, I built that you know every sort of actor in Christendom's built their little studio in their back bedroom and I was able mm. to do some nice mm. interesting stuff there but you know it's just that top up top up yeah, lovely lovely, lovely yeah. um, it's just that thing of being in a room Doing a great play with an audience and everybody's breathing the same air. There's nothing, there's nothing like that live experience, you know. And this goes for like musicians as well. I mean, they must be just having the worst time. Being a jeweler is completely the opposite because it's quite a solitary occupation. You sit at your little bench and make things. And for a lot of jewelers, they've had not had a bad time of it. They set up their little workbench at home and they've been pottering away doing their thing, and it's worked well. But our profession is, you know, primarily based on yeah working for yeah. the public you'll be back I'm, I'm waiting for you to get that call from Barbara Broccoli <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yes. and they'll start filming <laughs> James Bond <laughs> my name is Jim Jim Bond <laughs> how are you doing you'll be good I'm just what I'm going to put your name forward yeah 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 good well we should not we sure, should move sure on I handle the stunts but there we go but, you can yeah. do it you can do it mate. When I started this, the idea for this podcast, I was imagining that it would be mainly women that I would be talking to because we kind of associate jewellery with women. But I was really keen to have some blokes. And, and um, so I'm very pleased that you've come along today and you've got three 
fantastic rings in front of you. Is there one that you'd sort of pick first and we can start talking about that and what it means to you? Yeah, I brought three rings. They're all in some way associated with my dad. Yeah, lovely. Um, and the ring, of course, that means the most to me is, I suppose, my, is my wedding ring, you know, which is... Uh, that's the one that stands out. in the middle, which is a, which is a, a it's a, it's actually crack gold. It's like, <laughs> it's like nine can carat I, gold. Can I have a look? So yeah, it's a nine carat gold band. Somebody yeah. described it as a, as a, as a serviette holder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is actually, that is a good description. It's nine carat gold and which I really like the color of nine carat gold. So nine carat means that if you imagine there are 24 carats in the basket, nine of those carats are made of solid gold and the other carrots are made of other things like copper and and whatever else they put in zinc yeah, wood <laughs> yeah wood, wood shavings whatever they want to chuck in so it is not pure gold but if it was pure gold pure gold would have a beautiful kind of egyptian museum yellow color but it would be soft as anything and it would just wear out so nine carats are tough gold it yeah. lasts well and it's a bit cheaper all right that's um, interesting. but i like the color of it because it always looks a bit more antique to me so there's, a, there's an element of it looking a little bit sort of you know kind of coppery or, or antique but to describe it it's about a centimeter wide and it's a big ring and it it weighs as much as a bunch of coins in your hand doesn't it i mean it's, it's a hefty old thing i put a tablecloth on the table today but i'll just see yeah you see if you drop it you you get a sense that even so it's cheap doesn't it <laughs> no that's no that's that's solid it's a solid chunky ring that's and the other thing i like about it is that it's it's properly well worn yeah. so it's a, it's a wedding ring right how do you come to be in possession of it well it's i mean it's a it's a it's a very sort of you know weird story but it's an absolutely true story in that it, the ring came from my dad Lovely. yeah at the time we were getting married i suppose sonia and i would you know we didn't have a huge amount of cash or whatever uh and my dad phoned up and said to sonia look i'd like to give you this wedding ring for your uh, wedding so you don't have to go and i just assumed that it was his wedding ring, you know. My dad was giving me his wedding ring. I was thinking it maybe your granddad's or some no, no, sort no. of well, heirloom yeah, piece. But, you know, that's yeah. that's the assumption you'd make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like my dad would never say anything like that to me. Um, <laughs> but if he had done, I would have gone all oh, blind. Yeah, but I'm all, I got all, so I got all choked up, you know. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. oh my god, my dad's giving me his wedding ring, so that I'll get married in his wedding ring. Can, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to interrupt and just ask, what was your relationship like with your dad? Did you talk about feelings and? No, no, it wasn't like that. I mean, we were very, very close on a very yeah. sort of, you know, unspoken level. We were old school. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. We were very huggy and kissy and all that oh, there wow. and all. You know, there was a very tactile relationship, and he was really good fun and he was very supportive. But he was, I don't know. I mean, did we have a huge amount in common? I mean, we really, really loved each other, and that was yeah. really demonstrative. Yeah. But he did everything under the sun. I mean, he was an ice cream man, a grave digger, yeah. sold lemonade, <laughs> owned a corner shop. He worked in a nylon factory and then latterly in his last years ran, you know, nursing homes and became quite successful that way. I'm, I'm thinking just that list. You've done most of those things on film, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe sort of vicariously you've yeah, yeah, yeah. replicated your father's life. Yeah, but he, uh, yeah. you know, so he was, we have very, very different lives, you know. And he was immensely proud of me, you know. Yeah. I, I, I've yeah. got a real memory of him like coming to see an Ibsen play I was in when I was at the RSC, like in the early 90s. And at the end of the show, on his feet, clapping and, and cheering and all that there. And I was like, 
you know, and everybody in the cars were going, who was that man who was on his feet? And I was like, that was, that was my that's dad. dad. That was my dad, you know. That's gorgeous. You know, and he had such a, you know, it was such an effect on him, you know, and he absolutely loved it. So I think he was really proud of that I had gone into this weird profession that he knew very little about. Yeah, with you talking all about that. I'm just remembering, I think it was my 21st birthday, I, and I was on a train, and I thought I'd better phone my parents up, and I... I can't have been on a train because they wouldn't have had mobile phones. So I've got this story wrong. Anyway, I phoned up my dad and uh, he answered the phone and he said, hello. And I said, hi, dad, it's uh, Alex. And he went, uh, yes. And I said, it's my 21st birthday. And he went, I'll get your mother. And that was, <laughs> that was sort of the extent. So he was a man of his generation. He was a lovely man. And I know he loved me, but, but all these things that you're talking about, I never experienced any of it because it was, it was just, I'll get your mother. Was his, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I had a disastrous experience asking him for the facts of life when I was about, oh my <laughs> when I was God. about 12, you know, and uh, and he absolutely did a fantastic job of sort of side-swiping the issue, talking, you know, about this and other things. And, and then my mother sort of said to him later that evening or something, she said, did Lloyd ask you for the facts of life <laughs> earlier on? And uh, he went, and his kind of way he went, aye, oh, he did, aye, oh, aye. Oh. I said, and what did you say? I said, well, I didn't say anything. I just expect Lloyd to know those kind of things. <laughs> Brilliant, isn't it? Brilliant. I wonder if our kids will look back on us and say that we were products of our time and laugh. Before lockdown, probably my kids would probably have a, a much uh, rosier <laughs> picture of me than now, I have to yeah, say. Same for you know, us, Six months stuck together under the same roof. But this ring, so I was really choked up that he had offered me his wedding ring. Or so I thought it was his wedding ring. Mm. He gave this to you and Son. Did you go to Ireland and, and, and did he... No, 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 no. He, he sent it over. Sent it over in the post. Yeah, and you were like, oh, oh, my yeah. dad, what a lovely... Yeah, what a lovely oh. thing to do. Son just sort of said, phoned him up and said, look, Lloyd, uh, John, I just had to say, he was called John, by the way, uh, I was just going to say, Lloyd, Lloyd is really, 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 you know, really moved yeah. that you've given him your wedding ring. And my dad said, aye, and he got a bit, sh- he got a bit shifty. And he said... Oh, well, uh, technically, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's a wedding ring, but uh, <laughs> but it wouldn't actually be. I say it wouldn't actually be my wedding ring. And that Sonia was a bit confused. She said, well, "What do you mean?" And she said, "He said, look, Sonia, I was in a card game the other night, and there was this fella that couldn't make the bet, so he chucked in his wedding ring." Oh my! <laughs> and, this, and this is the wedding ring that I ended up with. And Sonia said, "You mean?" You mean you took, you took a wedding ring? You took off some it. guy's wedding ring off to make him up. It was, it was like a poker game, and he went, "I, oh, I just thought I was doing you a favour, kind of like." And I said, "But, but this time I was already emotionally invested in the ring." Yeah, yeah. And you know, had to wear it, and all I think of it every time I put it on my face, walk for a look at it, I go, "Some poor guy in Northern Ireland's walking around with the wedding ring because he he, he lost it in a bet on the street if he's still married because that could." I know. I mean, actually, what was the conversation like when he went back to his missus and said? Sorry, so I guess what it means is that paints a picture of your dad. Did you know that he played poker? Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Poker was a problem for him. My dad, I mean, when he died, my father, at his funeral, there were 700 people at his funeral. Oh, my God. 
Seven hundred people because he was in a he had been in AA Alcoholics Anonymous for the last forty two years of his life, and he had a massive massive collection of friends. You know. Yeah. Lovely, lovely. So he sounds like a kind of larger-than-life character. It was very, very very well thought of. But in the same way that alcohol was a huge problem for him in his life, when he got rid of that, he immediately became addicted to sugar. Yeah. And he was a big fucker when he died. (laughs) (laughs) And he was addicted to the other things, like gambling. gambling. So he replaced it. So when we said to him, about 10 years before he died, you've got a problem with gambling. What's going on here? Oh. He said, it's actually not the gambling that's the problem. It's just I haven't been to many AA meetings recently. So he got back on the program with his AA. Yeah, yeah. And gradually the gambling became a little bit, you know, easier to handle. Yeah. But he was always fond of a, of, uh, of a bet. He was always giving me the, the bets on the Grand National every, yeah, every yeah. year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the horse to bet on. On the <laughs> subject of your dad, tell me, did you live in Strabane? Were you raised in Strabane? No, or? born in Strabane, but we left Strabane when I was one year old. Okay, so Strabane, I was looking on the map, is right slap bang on the border. Right on the border, yeah, yeah, yeah. You cross a bridge in the town and you're over in, uh, in Lifford and Donegal. So, yeah, you're right on the border. So you moved when you were one to... Antrim. Antrim, okay. Which is a town, one of the, it was sort of part of the New Town Act in the 60s. And uh, it was about 18 miles outside of Belfast. From my point of view, being a kind of middle class guy from England, I, I recognise all these names from watching the news because bad things were happening in Northern Ireland in the 70s. Yeah. And you sort of got to know the geography through bad things, not through positive things. And from my point of view, being in brought up in Suffolk, it sounded like a pretty dangerous place. Now, even in Suffolk, I, I remember the 70s was a much more violent and threatening time in history than it is now. You know, people used to all pile out the pub. There was a lot of football violence and, you know, people would sort of beat you up. And things. So I spent a lot of it trying to sort of dress up as a punk rocker or whatever it was yeah. and then running for my life as the big boys but were you very aware of no. the, the problems you no. weren't living it wasn't surrounding no. you all the time no 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 it wasn't it wasn't like that at all it was there it was absolutely there and I'm sure that like us like lots of families in the north of Ireland in the 70s and 80s new families that had been absolutely and deeply affected by the troubles and the violence but did it did it affect my growing up or was I did it stunt anything I'm not sure subconsciously probably yeah again when I was stalking you this morning there's there's just this raft of talented Irish and Northern Irish actors that seem to have come over and I'm just fascinated as to, as to how you go from being, a, I guess, a fairly normal kind of a kid from a normal kind of a family in Northern Ireland to joining the RSC and acting on stages in London. Because it's quite a journey, isn't it? It is. Well, yeah, I, mean, I, mean, I look back. I mean, when I was at that age, when I knew what it was I wanted to do, and I've always been very, very lucky, I feel, in the fact that I, at a young age, I knew what I wanted to be. Yeah. I knew what I, at least I knew what I wanted to go for. Yeah. And like when I was about 13 or 14, this was absolutely what I decided I was going to do. That young, was it a school yeah. play or something that you're... And I always enjoyed it, loved films, loved watching films and yeah. stuff. And, but I loved the theatre, I loved, you know, live performance. Mm. I will never forget the sort of that intoxicating feeling and excitement when I first stepped on yeah. a stage, you know, the school play for the first time. It was a, well, it was a J.M. Singh play called Raiders of the Sea. And I had one line and the line was... It's a great shame she wouldn't think of the nails and all the coffins she's seen made already. You know, one of the mourners at the end. 
I said it. And I'll never forget my throat seized up. It was like, I finally got the line out. <laughs> I'll never forget that intoxicating feeling of being yeah. like drunk and excited. And, uh, and then later on, yeah, the applause you get, you know. Because it felt like it was something that I did, yeah. that I was good at, that set me out from the crowd, from everyone else. Yeah. You know, and at school, people used to say, you're that actor, you're mad. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like, yeah, I suppose, <laughs> you know. That's cool. Yeah. Was there a point that you went back to your mum and dad and said, you know what, I'm going to become an actor, that's what I want to do. And, yeah. and they were like, you know, study for your oh, medicine well, degree. Well, well, well. But, but the thing, you have to imagine what Antrim was like in the 1980s. I mean, Antrim had no, you know, at school you were trained to go to university and you, then you could decide what you wanted to be at university. Yeah. But the school got you to university or apprenticeships or the police or something like that. You know? They weren't sending people off to RADA. They weren't sending people <laughs> off to rally, you know. And I remember standing in front of my head teacher, a man called Stanley Spence. I remember him saying to me, so you want to be an actor? And I went, yes, I do, sir. He says, well, how, how are we going to get you there? <laughs> you know? That's their backing yeah, absolutely. He was saying, you know, let's, how are we going to He felt totally powerless that he yeah. couldn't do anything. There was no traditional yeah. route. He had no blueprint for an actor at school. How did you find the route through then? Well, well, a lot of it was on my own, I suppose. I had a very good couple of teachers who were very supportive, you know. But I always felt that they were having to break ranks yeah. to support me, you know. So yeah. I had a couple of teachers, Alistair Smith, John Gardner, Terry Jones. They, they, they sort of give me advice on what speeches to do, you know, for my auditions. And then I, I wrote off to the drama schools and got the application forms and, you know, told my parents that this is what I was going to do. Because initially they'd said to me, you know, you've got to get a real job. So, of course... I applied to join the RUC, which was the police at the time, which was basically signing my own death warrant <laughs> at the age of 17. That's great, isn't it? I can see this, you weighing up. On the one hand, you've got the RUC in Northern Ireland during the Troubles, yeah. and on the other hand, you've got RADA, darling. I know what one I would have taken. Yeah, but my folks were like absolutely dead set against me being an actor to begin with. And when I confronted them and said to them, uh, you know, I'll have applied to join the RUC and I've been accepted and I've got my first day of training in Enniskillen on such and such a day in August in 1985. And my mother burst into tears going, I thought oh. you wanted to be an actor. <laughs> so yeah, I finally act, got them on my act, side. Mate, act. from middle class Suffolk everyone that wanted to be an actor they were all terribly nice girls called Pandora you know that sort of stereotype yeah. who all went off to, to drama school and um, it was it seemed to me to be quite a sort of posh thing to do right? well yeah, yeah and also in Northern Ireland you talk about that wealth of talent and there is a real wealth of talent that notion of performance was much more nurtured in the sort of Catholic nationalist community than it ever was in the Protestant community you know they had the, the festivals and all yeah. that and performance you know Irish dancing and monologues and all that there and that was much more prevalent in those schools than it was in mine you know and certainly in, in the more rural grammar schools like I was I mean our school plays were like melodramas and murder mysteries as opposed to in Belfast in the towns of the cities where you would be doing Shakespeare or stuff like that yeah. difficult stuff yeah so I had to ultimately leave school and take a year out 
I'm going into Belfast and join a little theatre company and mix with my own kind. Yeah. It was fantastic. Then I look back on it now and I just think, oh my God, what a, just a fantastic time. It was, yeah. it was a year, there was a, it was a theatre company called the Fringe Benefits Theatre Company and we worked at a, the Crescent Arts Centre in Belfast and it was just like a year of being on the dole, having no money and living off coffee and cigarettes and doing plays. It was great, great fun. You know that expression that youth is wasted on the young? I always think that's just not true because it sounds like you had a fantastic time. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, total ball, you know. Absolute ball. So then um, at some point you obviously applied to RADA and got in and then you would have had to have got on what a boat and trains and come over and arrived in London at a time... No, no. Actually, I got a flight over, Alex. Oh, Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> Flash with the cash, right? <laughs> yeah. Flash with the cash. They're 40 quid, I remember it cost. Nothing. £43 pounds it cost, which is no different to today, I suppose. No. Prices haven't gone up, have they? <laughs> no. But you arrived in London at a time that, you know, there was a bit of hostility towards Irish people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being really, really surprised by it at the time. Because I remember thinking, oh, well, I've grown up in the UK, in yeah. Northern Ireland. Of course I'm just going to arrive in, in London and I'm going to be a member of the British public and they'll all know and understand yeah. that. Well, actually, no, the minute you opened up your gob and spoke with an Irish accent, people were very, very... That's just a view of you, you know? There were kind of Irish pubs and then non-Irish pubs almost. So there was a deal more segregation and the Irish pubs were always funner because there'd be a lot of singing and yeah. um, and drinking and they were just good fun places to be in. Yeah, yeah. I went into one once and asked for a... I can't remember why, but I asked for a Guinness shandy and um, I was, I was Christ, nearly murdered, man. so there was a lesson Yeah, there. quite right, too. Eh? I would have taken you out. I would have taken you <laughs> back and given you a good kick <laughs> for asking us. Hello, can I have a Guinness shandy, please? <laughs> Get him out of here. Bless Jesus him. Bless him. I remember we were cycling once through um, West somewhere and you told us that you arrived at the... Uh, Putney Bridge. Putney Bridge and you yeah. arrived at the station and then yeah. went in and left your wallet in a That's shop right, yeah. I left, I left a wallet that had £10 pounds in it. Do you remember those big brown £10 yeah. notes? Yeah, that was when £10 was £10. That's what £10 was. the old money. The oldie money. <laughs> um, and my address was in the wallet and they sent my wallet straight back over to Northern Ireland and I thought, well, here I am in London. There's decent people here. Was Don't one. be frightened, yeah. There was one there was in, one in Putney, Putney Bridge. Bridge. <laughs> yeah, 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 Putney Bridge. Lovely. to the biscuits now so yeah absolutely um you'll hear some chewing so i'm going back to the ring and your dad you heard the story but by then you were attached to it mm. and i think it kind of um enriches the meaning of the ring because it's got more depth and often connections to things aren't always just good connections they, well, they absolutely they're, they're, because i knew i couldn't get rid of it i couldn't sort of go well, take this back this is some per- no, I'd already sort of invested in the ring. And know? it's a great ring. And that, that ring would cost a small mortgage now because there's so much gold in that bloody ring that, that <laughs> you'd have to have like a little... The size of it. But it suits you too. Yeah. So you knew about this story. Did you confront your dad about it and say, bloody hell, Dad, what, you, what were you thinking? Giving me a bad... Well, I, I didn't... Con- ring. No, I didn't confront him about it. I just kind of... It was such a funny story. I mean, mm. I mean me and my mates, we've sat around and we've sort of acted out what it must have been like for <laughs> the poor fella to... <laughs> To give up his ring, pulling it off, 
Oh, is, oh, right there. Jesus, take it. As he lost his bluff with a with sort of a yeah. couple of two or something like that. <laughs> and your dad now. Um, but you were saying, talking about your dad's funeral, so when did your dad die? He died 17th of April 2009. Okay, so you went over for his funeral. Um, yeah. And suddenly there's like masses of people there. Oh, God. And you weren't expecting that? Well, you know, there's a tradition in, in Ireland of having people back to the house, you know, after somebody's died. So uh, so my dad was lying in his coffin in a room in the house and uh, there was an endless succession of, of people come yeah. to the house, you know. It's just uh, that's the way it's done. Am I right in thinking there was some story about his involvement in... Because there was unexpected people there and it was somehow... It was somehow in- yeah, yeah, the IRA turned up. <laughs> All right, turned up in a car. Great. The car pulled up and uh, there was these three gentlemen got out and I didn't recognise them. You know, because I I thought I knew a lot of my dad's friends, but I didn't recognise these guys. Anyway, they came out and they were all, they were very nice and all the rest of it. And they just said, are you, are you the son? And I went, yeah, 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 I'm the son. I says, well, we've got a, we've got a message for you from the leadership. And I'm thinking, leadership? What are you, what are you talking about leadership? Anyway, it was, it was a, it was a lovely Lovely, beautiful. I've still got a card from uh, Jerry Adams mm. written in Irish to my dad, or you know, a sort of condolence card. You know, I've still got a wow. lovely, lovely sort of Celtic cross card. And and what I gleaned, you know, and this is about as much as I know, is that right about the time of the first ceasefire in Northern Ireland was the early nineties. Can't remember the exact date, but Sinn Féin, I think, were, were basically trying to sound out from local businessmen and, and people in the community, both sides of the community, mm. what a ceasefire would mean, what you know, mm. what would come of it in a way. They, you know, so they were doing their, their homework and they held a kind of conference, I think, at Clonard Monastery, I think, yeah. in Belfast. And my dad was one of the people there. I mean... I, I, he sounds like an amazing man. Yeah, well, and obviously had had you know the way uh, was it Itchy Bates talks about secret orchards. You know, everybody mm. has their secret orchard. You know, and, well, uh, I don't know that my dad did. <laughs> well, you yeah, don't know, but you don't know this. Yeah, well, who knows? And, uh, and definitely, my dad had a had a life away from the family. Yeah, that was you know his own. It was private and it was very intense. Yeah. And you know, and it took his wake for those stories to sort of avail themselves to the rest of us. You know what? I thought about this ring because <laughs> it's a lovely ring and I've seen you wear it for years. But you have two boys. Yeah. So I've, I've always thought, well, what, how's he going to work that one out? Because he's got, got one. Well, I, I guess you'll wear this ring. But um, it's wide enough. You could cut this ring in half <laughs> and you'd still have two chunky great rings. Know, one for each boy. Maybe that's the way to go. Well, <laughs> well you've got to keep wearing it because it yeah. suits you. You got you, you know, that, that'll stay on you. It's a really nice ring. It's very simple. We'll have photographs of it on the website so you'll be Brother. able to have a look at it. Mm. It's lovely because we've got three beautiful rings here that really suit you. And what's nice about this is that you do wear jewellery and you look good in jewellery and your jewellery connects you to who you are, where you come from uh-huh. and to very important people in your life. Whereas I don't I, I just don't even wear a belt so I let the team down (laughs) 
Should we look at another one of these three really nice rings? I, I also, I'm just gonna say at this point that this jewelry is very much, it's proper, I would call it man's jewelry. You know, I'm not very keen when we make jewelry, we sort of do non-gender specific, and of course anyone can wear it, but this is this is really nice man's jewelry, I think, that you've yeah. got there, three really nice yeah. rings. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, what's the next piece? Could this is a ring, this one's very special to me. I mean, I love my wedding ring, you know, because it you know, bends me to Sonia and all the, you know, the marry connotations. This is a ring that my dad actually, I'm filling up here. Oh, take your time, take your time. It's lovely talking about your dad. I'm, what I'm going to do, mate, if you if you just want a second, I'm going to describe this ring while while Lloyd gathers composes himself. <laughs> Has a um, it, I feel guilty now because I wish I could I could get choked up. No, 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 no. No, it's just he gave it to me on, on his on, as he was dying, you know, it, oh, as mate. he was in the process of dying. There was no big emotional thing. He just he just handed it to me there. Here. You know, there's room on it, I think, for a, a, a message. And I've often thought about getting, should I get my dad's initials on there or something? But I've just never really done it. And, you know, he sort of, I don't know. It was just the gesture more than anything. And it was a ring that I had always associated with him because I saw him wear it all my life on his, you mm. know, big chunky finger. And, and, and then he gave it to me. And it almost seemed like, oh, right, well, this is the end of something that he's... he's in a sense, he's given up something now, and maybe this is just me storytelling the actor in me, but that, that's what it felt like, and that's why it kind of it feels so important. No, I'm I'm with you. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna describe it. So this is a, a signet ring that has a that's rectangular shaped on the front, and it's stepped down to the shank. Is this um, eighteen carat? Or do you know? I've no idea. We don't know. I mean, I know that the, the wedding rings are you know nine carat gold, but I've well, no idea what that is there. Once again, I've done my special trick of. Forgetting my jeweler's loop, we can find that out and have a look. The band bends yeah. and it's quite yeah. malleable, yeah. so maybe it's a higher quality gold. It's had some work done on it, that's for sure. So it may have had a piece put in to fit your dad. It's had work over the years. I mean, it's lived a life. This ring, mm. but um, what I loved just talking to you now is you got genuinely choked up, and I, I, I feel a bit bad because. I sort of bad. made light of it a bit. But, but that's what jewellery's for, it's, isn't it? Or any object that you, know, you talk about, isn't it? So this is just a lump of metal, but mm. it connects you with a man that was obviously a very important um, person in your life. And it brings back all these memories and it emotionally ties you back to someone. And I, I think it's so fascinating that I don't know to what extent we need an object like that, but if we have an object like that, we can use it as a portal to sort of connect us to someone. And if you didn't have this ring, you'd still remember your dad. But perhaps holding it and looking at it and wearing it gives you that connection on a sort of day-to-day well, -day basis. It does. Hey, because, I mean, any time you sort of take time to look at it or study or even look at your hand, there's always part of you that's, whether subconsciously or not thinking about, the, you know, yeah. how, where the ring comes from and how you got the ring and all the rest yeah. of it. I mean, other objects I kept from my dad were like a, were a couple of his coats. Yeah. But I mean, they're just a big couple of coats. I can't wear them because he was he was a much bigger man than I am. And, you know, but they, I've got them. But this is special because, it you know, it's wrapped around my finger and I'm always... You wear it all the time and it's it's like always with you, isn't it? I find it really interesting that it connects you to your dad. You were saying about how you just remember seeing him wear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I still is, remember his big hands sitting on the table, and Irishmen have a real thing of you know, if they're just yeah. sitting chatting that they yeah. they drum their fingers on it, and I can still remember him with this ring, these both these rings, the other ring uh, that I brought today on the table and, and, and drumming on his fingers. Isn't on that the table. There's, there's always something about 
your, your father's hands. And it reminds me of that thing that we used to do where you'd, you know, on a sunny day, your dad would be out on the lawn and you'd run. Me and my brothers would run and we'd hurl ourselves at him, in a, <laughs> in a, you know, when we were little. Yeah, and yeah. you could hit him as fast as you could. He wouldn't, he was a mountain, you know. Mm. My dad was, a, was making, he was building the house and making things out of wood. So his hands were quite sort of rough. And uh, there's something about your father's hands. They always seem so big and, and, oh, yeah. and quite kind of immortal at the time. And then, Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he was a big, larger-than-life character. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. And I have real memories of when I was a child, you know, looking up at him. I can still see that image in yeah, my head of great. looking up and seeing him tall, like a giant. Yeah, <laughs> don't know. That's so sweet. And a bit, well, I'm being unfair because I, I'm just remembering... My dad disappearing through the back door as we came in the front, you know, <laughs> hiding his wine and, and locking up his workshop. Um, <laughs> I'm being, it's not, I, I'm sorry, sorry. Your dad was lovely. <laughs> he was, he he was, was lovely, your father. Well, I'll hear a I'm, word said against him. I'm, I'm so sorry that I didn't ever meet your, your dad. But um, yeah, I'm being unfair. I'm being unfair. This isn't, this isn't right. Um, I thought, well, that's really sweet. So this is, this is exactly why I wanted to talk to people about their jewellery is I'm really interested in unpicking this connection that jewellery gives us to these things that are so fundamentally important to us. I think both those pieces have got it. So third ring, mm-hmm. tell me how you come to be in possession of that. Well, again, it was, dad? My, it was my dad's. And I have no real emotional connection to it at all. Is, it a, than, is it a hand-me-down? After yeah, it's a hand-me-down. Yeah, yeah. But I don't have a, an emotional connection to it, really, because it was just something that was given to me when he died. Here's your dad's rings. And I mean, I've got another ring of his that belonged to a cardinal. It's a Pope, a kind of a, you know. Wow. Yeah. Kiss me ring. So, yeah, oh, one of those. Yeah, okay. That sounded yeah, wrong. Yeah, it? it just sounded so wrong. But anyway. Oh, uh, you know, I was trying to get out with that. Yeah. Um, um, kiss me ring. He kissed me ring. <laughs> Actually, I must get you to widen this ring for me. Cause that, is, it, is it getting... <laughs> We're going, going in the wrong direction, this can we, chat. Can we, but anyway, yeah, we my wedding this? ring needs to be... <laughs> but uh, we can no, do that we, this, and, and we can engrave you know any, anything needs to be done we, yeah. we can do we can engrave on that one this ring really suits you it's a, another signet ring but it has a beautiful slab I guess that's black onyx yeah. in the front a rectangle of black onyx which is set into a shank it's a chunky ring it's a heavy ring again yes yeah, got a nice bit of weight I tell you what with these three rings you could go anywhere in the world and you could pay your passage with them because well the one in the middle is a little bit light but there's a lot of gold in those three rings and they're almost making a knuckle duster now (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly what i was going for but that's nice because that ring just looks good you wear it because it looks nice it's lovely it's gorgeous ring but you know what i mean in the way that the other two have stories yeah this ring all all i've got is that it belonged to my dad and i like the look of it it's a great big um... sort of chunky lovely you know did you wear rings, wear any jewellery when you were experimenting with your look? Were you the same as me, where when you were a sort of teenager going up, you would try different things? And when oh, you yeah. look back at all the photos, you think, oh, oh yeah, God. why? Did uh, you used to wear, I mean, I never even wore, I, I wore a dog collar once, but. No, you know. a necklace, you know, I, you, know, yeah. you know, you had your little sort of chain that yeah. you wore. I mean, everybody, everybody in the early 80s had a, like a gold chain or a silver chain, you know, just, yeah. you just wore, you know. 
Yeah. And I remember my mother bought me a, a really nice chain. You still got it? No. Oh, God, no. I probably left it on some side table <laughs> at some, somebody's house. I forgot to take it, though. Yeah, I can see the picture now. Yeah. Uh, yeah no, cool. no, but I've never been into neck jewellery as, as much yeah. as, you know, or sort of, uh, you know, pendants and all that malarkey. Me neither. I did. I have a wedding ring, but I don't know where it is because we, um, me and Denise got married. No, I think Denise knows where it is, but literally we got married with it and we did the whole with this ring thing. And I, <laughs> I put my hands around, you know, put it up, put it in my pocket. And then, yeah. and then when I woke up... So why is that? Is that because you don't like wearing a ring on you? Or do you feel kind of like... I don't know. I love, I love the... I'm just really interested in the stories with other people about jewellery, but, yeah. but I don't have any... I mean, maybe if, if I had have come from a, a family history where I had have had some heirloom pieces or something that would have meant something to me, but I have no idea what happened to my dad's wedding ring. If he had a wedding ring, maybe he didn't have one. I don't mm. know. Well, you see, you've got brothers too, so I don't know. I've made both brothers a chain. So they both have a gold chain with a tag on that they got for significant birthdays. And they look great in them. You know, they look oh. slightly Mediterranean when they're... I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that you you know, who's a working jeweller, wouldn't wouldn't particularly wear any jewellery. I mean, it's sort of a busman's holiday or something, you know. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I used to use the excuse. I remember I had a, I tried wearing a ring once and I was in the kitchen. I walked past a cupboard and it caught on the handle and yeah. pulled me off my feet. And well, actually, that, this, that happened to the... Oh, is that what's that, happened there? The ring that my ah, dad so, gave me, uh, that's got a bend in it there that's quite pointed. Yeah, so this that happened is the, because of that. This is the lovely ring yeah. from Lloyd's father. And, yeah, um, I thought my finger and ring was going to come flying off. Yeah, because that could be nasty. So maybe that isn't a repair. Maybe that's just where you caught it. And what we need to do is put it on the ring stick and just Hammer tap it. that yep. round. You'll have to come in sometime and we'll, right. we can sort that one out. Yep. So moving on from all this malarkey and um, Rada and Northern Ireland, your younger days, how's things looking now? Because... Your career, I remember you had some great things lined up. Are they still in the pipeline? Well, or they... th- theoretically, they're still in the pipeline. There was a big show that I was due to start in April, and it was going to be playing all through the pandemic and into next year. But that's been put back a year. Yeah. So that'll start next April. I say it'll start next April. That's if... Fingers uh, crossed. Fingers saying. crossed. That's if, if, if there's any movement and, you know, hopefully, you know, deaths start to decrease yeah. and uh, maybe, you know, a vaccine comes along. That's what we're going to need to get back to the theatre. Yeah. Is confidence. Is the voice work that you're doing any substitute because me and Denise had the really odd experience of, of <laughs> going to bed each night with you doing book at bedtime with your dulcet tones right. reading to us and when yeah. we found that a bit weird to have Lloyd, <laughs> Lloyd talking to us as we yeah, were I mean, yeah I mean it's, Which, it's, it's been grand in the sense that I've continued to kind of make a sort of a living yeah. During lockdown, I was doing that and a few radio plays and a couple of voiceovers here and then. And But I've managed to pick up, you know, sort of creatively those little bits and bobs that allow you to feel like you're an actor still, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm very lucky. I know some friends of mine have done absolutely nothing. Yeah. Haven't been able to, to do anything during lockdown because, you know, the work's just not been there. And, uh, you know... Just, just the nature of the beast, yeah. you know. No, I don't yeah. think anybody were really prepared for just how devastating this was going to be to the acting or to the theatre profession and the music yeah. profession as well. Well, um, hope that the support's going to be there and it's all going to open up because we need to have some fun. The thing that always amazes me when I go and see you in a play is how you end up standing on a stage in front of hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of people with them all 
holding their breath, waiting for you to start talking, and you yeah, had to yeah. hold that audience. I just I think, know, it's I a wonderful, it's... wonderful feeling. I'm very, very lucky. If it all ended today, you know, I, I, at least I could look back and say that I had a, a relatively successful 30 years of doing exactly what it was I wanted to do and what mm. I really loved doing. That's, mm. you know, being an actor in plays and on the yeah. telly telling stories. Yeah, it's, for, it's for time. But we will be back. We will yeah. be back. It's just a question of time. Um you know, theatre has been 2,500 years. It's not going to stop just because there's a, a novel virus on the on the go. Well, one of the things that concerns me a lot is, and same with music, is that probably a lot of the casuals are going to be this, this sort of grassroots level, little small provincial places and little theatre groups and stuff that will all be closing. And that's the sort of feeding, isn't it, to, to the larger scale theatre things. And, and particularly in the music scene, if all the little music venues close... Where do young people cut their teeth and learn their yeah, trade? Exactly. And, yeah. and there's, you know, you, it's, it's a knock-on effect, isn't it? That, well, it, yeah, it is. That, that, you're not going to stop young people playing music, and you're not going to no, stop no, no, remember, acting, are you? So. Yeah, I remember, what, like when I was young, it, the art it always came from a, a difficult place, mm. and I know that there's going to be some extraordinary stuff done in the future because mm. of where we've been at mm. uh, now through this terrible, terrible pandemic. I just know that there's going to be a, a burst of creativity. It happened after the pandemic in 1918 and 1920. We had the, the Roaring Twenties. It's like the 1920s was a burst of creativity That's of brilliant. people unleashing themselves from the shackles of war and disease. And and you know, I expect you to be at the spearhead of that. Lloyd, I think on that optimistic <laughs> I, I hope note, so. just to finish off, if your house was burning down and the wife and kids and the dog were all safe and you could run in and save one bit of jewellery, which one of these three would you take? Well, of course it'd have to be my wedding ring. I'd take my wedding ring, you know? You can take two. You can take, take yeah, three. Them say they're not. So, because Sonny would kill me if it... <laughs> <laughs> I'd definitely take my wedding ring. Brilliant. It would have to be the one... Uh, if the other two would have to be the, the ring that my dad gave me early in the day it would have to be that so I'll run in afterwards and get this beautiful black onyx one because I think that's a great ring yeah. thanks mate all thank right, you yeah. very much for oh, being on, pleasure. on the show we're going to go and put the kettle on yeah and, I'm going to um, put my rings back on and check that this actually recorded properly and um, there's all sorts of things that I didn't cover that I was I was hoping to we'll save that for part <laughs> two mate part two <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you'd like to see some of the pieces we've been talking about, or for more information about any of the issues we've discussed, please check out our website and follow the links to the podcast page. You'll also find information on how to share your own stories, give a bit of feedback, or have a look at all the jewellery-related things I've been up to recently. We've also got some great jewellery-making tutorials on our YouTube channel. There's lots to see. Just go to www.alexmonroe.com. Mm-hmm.